This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Home Daily for Monday, February 27th. 2023 on today's episode we're going to discuss the latest film and tv news this is slash film editorial director peter soretta and joining me on today's podcast is slash film box office analyst and staff writer ryan scott hey, hey everyone how's it going well ryan it is monday that means you and i are about to talk about box office and this one i think is more interesting uh than you think uh, you know, I mean, the, the clear winner here, I, I mean, w- w- okay, where, where do you want to start with this one? Uh, why don't we just go over, why don't we just talk about the top two Yeah, and then we can kind of decide how we want to tackle this. Okay. And I'll briefly touch on the third option because we don't even talk about it much, but it's interesting. So, uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania entered its second weekend and it did top the box office again. However... It dropped just shy of 70%, now ranking as the biggest second weekend drop ever for a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie, taking in $32.2 million, down from $106 million last weekend. Now, to um, give everybody a, a, an idea of that, last week when I talked to you on this podcast, you were expecting a 50 or 60% drop in this movie. And I thought, like, I was like, ooh, 50%, that's not bad at all. Well, um, I was expecting, between. I think I said between 55 and 60 yeah. But but I was thinking, uh, my t- truth truth was my gut told me closer to sixty five. But this is, <sighs> you know, the, yeah. And, and so this I was expecting closer to Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. But this is pretty bad. Um, we'll get into that in a second. But then, meanwhile, you had Universal's Cocaine Bearer, maybe one of the best marketing campaigns launched in quite some time. Um, <laughs> uh, well, and I'm and I'm saying that in earnest because. You know, this movie was expected to do about 17 million over the weekend, and it did 23 million. Um, so it was much closer of a fight than it ever should have been. Um, you know, Ant Man still handily won, but I mean, I don't know that it ever should have been that close. Um, and to that point, uh, Lionsgate kind of snuck into the top three here with a movie called Jesus Revolution, which is a faith based film that made $15.5 million out of absolutely nowhere. No real mainstream marketing campaign to speak of, um, you know, so that that kind of snuck in there. But um, no, not, no real need to talk about that a lot more. But when you look at a fact that a movie called Jesus Revolution made nearly half as much as Ant-Man did, uh, you know, I don't know uh, that that to me is illustrative yeah. of, of how big the drop was. Well, we, we also have to say, like, with those movies, like there's a formula with those movies where they like sell bulk ticket deals to all these like churches around 
the nation, right? So it's like, I don't know. I, I feel like it, it's a weird thing with the 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 religious movies. Look, it's a weird thing, but I've been tracking this more over the last couple of years since I've been writing for us. And you do see these faith-based movies pop here and there, but the fact that it popped this hard when it was tracking for like single digits, you know, it just sort of... <laughs> You know, but but again, my point being, you know, that that movie can overperform. You know, again, that movie gets you to half of what Ant Man did in the second weekend. Yeah. Not saying anything better, worse, whatever. Just telling that you know, there's nobody that's going to sit there and say that just shy of seventy percent drop is good, and it's pretty difficult to defend. Um, particularly because now we're looking at you know Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantumania. It's going to be very lucky if it makes as much as Ant Man and the Wasp did which is a little over 600 million. And I believe I saw a report from deadline where Ammon and the Wasp Quantumania is now expected to get, you know, maybe under 600 million. Uh, just for reference right now, it's at 363 million worldwide. But again, it's, it seems to be fading fast. So now let's be clear. 600 million is not bad in the grand scheme. Scope of thing like uh like how much was the budget for quantum mania do you know well let's talk about this part for a second because so 600 million is not bad for most movies okay but yeah. let's look at uh ant-man and the wasp had a 130 million dollar budget reportedly who knows uh but made 623 million worldwide good for an ant-man movie yeah part of this is that the ant-man movies have been a little smaller in scope and that was much cheaper than a lot of you know other marvel movies were uh, no official figures have been said yet, but this one is supposedly much closer to the $200 million range because so, Quantumania, much more effects, heavy movie, bigger movie, bigger actors, this, that. Yeah. I believe that it's closer to $200 million. And if you're going to spend that much more money, you're expecting to make more and you kind of need to make more. So if this movie finishes below 600 million for a budget like that, that's not great. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it, it's understandable that it's more money. Like the whole movie is set in the quantum realm. It's not like uh, something you can film on location. Do you know what I mean? Well, like absolutely. It, that and I'm sure Peyton Reed costs a little more this time around. I'm sure yeah. your principal cast costs more this time around, you know, because that's just the way that these things work. So, yeah, I mean, it was there's no question it was a more expensive movie. But what you're saying is the budget is almost double and the return is going to be less. Yeah, and and you know again you're dealing with that B cinema score, you're dealing with that 48% Rotten Tomatoes critic score. Um you know, I mean I think that you know you're seeing what what my big takeaway is that I think that your your diehard Marvel Cinematic Universe fans are absolutely still there and they're going to show up opening weekend. What you seem to be losing is the percentage of your average moviegoer or casual MCU fan who is considering some of these things important even though Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania was sold as like, ooh, an Avengers-level threat, and here's your next Thanos, you know, with, with Kang, and the percentage of people that cared beyond the first week, you, you know, uh, that's that's a little that's a little rough. That I, I, That's a tough pill to swallow, I would imagine, if you're Disney or Marvel Studios. Yeah. I want to back up here for a second. I know you love Cocaine Bear. I know had a great time with Cocaine Bear. Yeah, uh, I, I hate us being super negative because there is a good movie out that people are seeing. Uh, but I do think that the Ant-Man 3 thing has ramifications for the future of cinema and, uh, and what's going on with Marvel. Uh, you know, wh why do you think it did so badly and what do you think it means? 
Well, and let me be clear. I'm not being, uh, you know, look, I'm just reading the numbers. I'm not trying yeah. to be super negative here. Like, because I think my thing is that a lot of people I've talked to, friends and stuff, they like this movie more than I think that like Rotten Tomatoes score would lead you to believe. Um, but it's not the same thing as like that no way home buzz where you can feel that palpable buzz that's getting people to go to see the movie. It, it's a uh, solid six or seven out of 10, which I, I don't think is bad. Like I, I think there's many worse movies in the Marvel cinematic universe, but I think there's a few worse movies in the Marvel cinematic universe for sure. I, don't know, um, I, th- I think the last like three or four have been worse, but th- that's my, just yeah, my I don't want to, I don't want to rehash this, but like I would watch this again <laughs> over like Thor love and thunder, for example. Yeah. Um, uh, I think Doctor Strange might in the Multiverse of Madness might be a better movie, but I was so heartbreaking by that movie that I don't know that I can look at that, the, the you know, with any sort of objectivity. But but uh, but yeah, so I think the thing that you're looking at here is that. It's this was a movie that that the rest of phase five very much hinged on, you know, like this was a, a consequential movie. I'm not saying that you can't explain Kang in another movie to other moviegoers, but I'm saying that. There was some stuff that happened here that that's going to definitely have an impact. And if you know what you're what I think you're running the risk of a little bit here at this point is alienating some more casual MCU fans. You saw this with the WandaVision thing in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. If you didn't watch WandaVision, you were going to be a little lost yeah. at points in that movie. I don't um, know. I, I think the fact that only one or I should probably say two of the Avengers saw Kang in the in this movie it makes it so that like when he becomes a bigger threat and they're like in a future movie i'm just theorizing here that you know hulk is gonna be like who is king and then it means be like oh yeah i ran into him in the quantum realm he's sure. blah, blah 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 like so i feel like you'll get all the knowledge you need in that two sentence sure you're gonna be able to rely on that sort of thing but i think explaining that versus like the difference between like so the the post-credit scene in ant-man and the wasp was you know ant-man and everyone you know they're stuck in the quantum realm Okay. Um, This you're explaining the next Thanos to people. Like, it's a little different. And I think that, like, particularly the credits scene, particularly, you know, Kang being, quote unquote, defeated, but then, like, becoming a bigger part of Loki season two very clearly. Like, I think that, you know, maybe people who watch Loki season two are not going to have watched Quantumania and they might be a little confused about. I don't know how that's all going to unfold, but I'm saying that the fact that this was such a big part of of the next phase, I, I do think there's a little bit of concern about, you know, how tied I, I, okay, let me back up for a second. I think what needs to happen is you've got to start making it. So these things can be slightly isolated experiences, maybe more than before, because you're, you know, your, your average moviegoer is no longer considering these as essential as they once were. So I think that, you know, you can't have, you know, a movie like this be so crucially important to what's going to come next. And I'm not saying you can't, you know, get away from, I'm not saying you can't explain what happened in Quantumania to other people in other movies, but that therefore is a burden that another movie has to carry. See, I, I don't know. This is so disappointing to me because one of my favorite Marvel movies is Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, the first movie, volume one. Right. Do they call it Volume One, or is it just Guardians? I think it's of just Guardians of the Galaxy. They may maybe retroactively call it Volume One, and, and I know what you're getting at, but go ahead. Yeah, uh, you know that movie sets up like you know the how important the Infinity Stones are. Like the Collector really, you know, explains all that. There's you know Thanos is a part of that movie. Thanos's daughter is a part of that movie. Like there's a there's a huge like I feel like if that movie was not a hit, you would have the same situation here. 
where yeah, but there. hey, guess what? That movie was a hit. And that movie, <laughs> you know, like, so we're not talking about that. We're talking about, you know, um, and then also, like, I do think, like, the Thanos bits in that movie were not entirely consequential. Like, it's, it's yes, you needed Thanos to have a little more screen time, but I don't know how big of a deal that actually was in terms of, like, yeah, but you're setting up the relationship of the daughter. Sure, a little bit, but more, but yeah. uh, but I think that like the 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 collector bit and sort of explaining the Infinity Stones is a bigger bit there. But yeah, um, I mean here Kang was a a, a one of the a principal cast metro- member in this movie, and I think Kang is a little more complicated as a villain than like Thanos. Thanos was somewhat I mean, a great character, <laughs> I think, but a little like his goal was a little simple when you really break it down. Kang, on the other hand, a little complicated. So, like, you know, I do think there's that element there. But I think the big thing that Marvel... I will say this before you go on. I will say this uh, about Kang. I think that the brilliance of having Kang as a villain, and uh, I hope this isn't a spoiler for anybody, but, you know, there isn't just one Kang. There's many different Kangs from many many different multiverses, and I think that was kind of set up in Loki. Um, and uh, so, you know, Jonathan Majors can play a different king in another movie. You can play a different king in Loki. You can play a different, like, it's almost like you're you're meeting a different character in each one of the, the films. I, so I feel like it's not like you need to know about this king in this movie because the next king might not be anything connected to this king. Yeah, but I also think that's where you get to more of the confusion, right? Where, like, um, you know, like... Maybe the Kang in, I don't know when we're next going to see Kang, but then they're going to be like, oh, I met a different version of you. And then, and then like, we goes like, what the hell are you talking about? You know, someone who didn't watch Quantumania or someone who didn't watch Loki. And like, it just, I like Kang a lot and I'm, and I'm looking forward to it. And I like where that's going. That was my favorite part of Quantumania. But I guess from a financial standpoint, Marvel really needs to look at this. And I think that they're already noticing some of this. They're pumping the brakes a little bit. They delayed the Marvels to November. We're only going to get two Disney Plus shows this year, supposedly, rather than three or four like it was maybe going to be. So I think they're sort of going to try to avoid audience burnout here. And, you know, I guess my hope is that they're going to really, really try to double down on quality over quantity because I think we're seeing the cinema scores have been going down for these movies a little bit more consistently. The critic scores have been going down for these movies a little more consistently. And like the box office drops have gone a lot more consistently. And I'll tell you the most interesting thing that I found in uh, sort of diving into this and we can move on after this, but yeah. But uh, give me one second. Let me pull this up because I got to get, I got to get this right. Um, So what you want to, what you want to look at is the consistency of the drops from first weekend to second weekend. Right. So, uh, in phase three of the MCU, the average second weekend drop was 55.2%. Phase four of the MCU, the average fa- second weekend drop was 64.3%. That jumped by almost 10%. So that's that to me is very indicative of the idea that, you know, the, the interest is waning just a bit. The chinks in the armor are starting to show. I'm kind of disappointed because, you know, there's two big things I think they're building up to at this phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And this isn't something that Kevin Feige has said or whatever. This is just my read on the situation. But there's number one king who is going to be the big threat at the end of this phase. That that actually, I think, has been said. But number two is the Young Avengers, which are they're kind of backdooring 
all these young heroes into these stories, the Cassie Langs, the Miss Marvels, you know, all those characters. And I feel like there isn't a love for those characters yet that there was for the big Avengers in, you know, phase one and phase two of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So I'm I'm wondering when when it's all going to hinge on the young Avengers coming together to save the world, at the, I assume, at the end of this phase, uh, will people care as much? Uh, yeah, so the Young Avengers thing, I think that that's been clear that they're trying to build to that. And I think the really unfortunate thing is that there does seem to be less interest in some of those characters. Uh, and, and yeah, I don't know at this point, I would, I would think maybe you would get more of like a Young Avengers moment in a Kang Dynasty or Secret Wars rather than a full Young Avengers project at this point. Um, and I think maybe that was in the plans, but I, I think now, because especially because you're going to seemingly the plan is to do no more than three movies a year and no more than two shows a year. And you've already got kind of a backlog of shows that need to get released. Yeah. And with the movie. So I think that you're already seeing like a backlog of development and stuff. So it would be a long time before that project could even potentially come to fruition. And so I think that maybe there's going to be some alteration to whatever those longer term plans were. And I, and I would guess that that might be a project that would if it was on the big Marvel Cinematic Universe whiteboard, it might at least have a question mark on it right now. So, so you don't think that the Young Avengers were going to be the end of this uh, three phases? I, I I feel like it was going to come to a head where the older older Avengers were going to somehow be tied into another multiverse or you know what whatever, and then the Young Avengers were going to have to come together to. That, that's what I, my assumption is. But that's I just didn't my necessarily assumption. have that assumption. I, I kind of thought the Young Avengers team would be a bigger part of either the Kang Dynasty or Secret Wars. And then I thought maybe that would tee up the ball for like a Young Avengers project, be it a show or a movie. Um, I, but I would I would hesitate to <laughs> go that far because I because let's see. So at this point, you'd definitely be setting up Cassie Lang. Um, who who uh uh um. Kate Bishop, uh, for sure. And I think that might be the one that would go over well at this point. But even then, you're dealing with a TV show over a movie. Who else? Who else? Are you have America at? Chavez. Oh, you Ms. have Marvel. Uh, maybe Eli Bradley from uh, uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier show. Uh, Man, yeah. The new Hawkeye or the young Hawkeye, whatever you want to say. Um, Hulkling, I guess, who is kind oh. of set up. and <laughs> uh, Miss Marvel. Okay. Uh, oh, this team's sounding more rough. The more you tell, uh, like the potential. Yeah, I think that would be a tough sell at this point. Um, because like I really love Miss Marvel. Like I love Miss Marvel. Yeah, me um, too. Like as a character, not I like the show a lot, but like as a character, I absolutely adore Miss Marvel. Um, and uh, ooh, tough sell. <laughs> they, they haven't really set up Wandavision's or Wanda's uh children but they would probably also be part of that as well maybe yeah i I don't know we'll see i'm again the one other thing i will say before leaving this off and being overly negative is that marvel is still the envy of hollywood like you know the the, most of these returns are are things studios would kill for the 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 slight concern here is is just the the it's not a deep it's not a steep slope but the overall seeming slope down in terms of reviews and like second weekend returns and you know movies that break a billion at the box office you know so th- so there's just a slight downward trend and that needs to be acknowledged and from disney's perspective probably managed 
We still have a lot to talk about. We have big Lord of the Rings news, the end of The Mandalorian, and Netflix getting commentary tracks. But we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Okay, Ryan, let's talk about this. Uh, John Favreau has been doing a press, and he recently talked to, I think it was Total Film, and they asked whether he had an ending in mind for Mandalorian and Grogu. And his answer was actually kind of surprising. His answer, I'm going to read the quote right now, says, no, I don't. I think the beauty of this is that it's a middle chapter of a much larger story. And though we'll have resolution over time with these characters, I think that how these characters fit into the larger scope and scale, but it's not that there's a finale that we're building to that I have in mind. Quite the contrary. I love these stories to, I I love for these stories to go on and on. And so these characters potentially could be with us for a while. And I really love telling stories in their voice, and I love the way the adventures unfold, and I'm looking forward to doing much more, unquote. This quote, I think, sent shockwaves across the the Star Wars nation because, you know, one of the big criticisms about the sequel trilogy is they didn't have a plan. That was the uh, the big criticism. And, it, 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 you know, Favreau saying, I, I'm not... I, I don't have a plan for an ending for Mandalorian and Grogu. Uh, what are your thoughts on this, Ryan? I think he doesn't want to commit to anything, and I think that's reasonable. I think that they are very clearly planning stuff well enough as they go. I think it's clear that they are building to something with that crossover show. I think um, they are not just like flying by the seat of their pants. I think they clearly have much more of a plan than was in place for the sequel trilogy. So I tend to like that they have a plan, but I also tend to like that. I also think it's okay that they're not like, you know, boxing themselves in by saying this is when we're going to end or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's okay to keep that open. So, and I also bet, I mean, also let's keep in mind that like, you know, like Paul Rudd and, you know, like six or seven years ago, he was like, Hey, are you Ant-Man? And he's like, no. And that was like after the contract had been signed. You know what I mean? So sometimes <laughs> people don't say, you know, so I, yeah. I'm not saying that's the case here, but I'm saying that, you know, John Favreau and Dave Filoni are not guys who are overly forthcoming with some of that information sometimes. So, yeah. um, well, Filoni is certainly a lot better at dodging the questions than Favreau is, uh, Favreau, I feel like is, is, uh, you know, Filoni's a trickster that's able to, you know, he almost has those like uh, uh, Kevin Feige answers that 
don't say anything but say something. Uh, but where Favreau, I feel like uh, you could, it, you know, he's, it's hard for him to like lie. So he kind of um, goes in a, you know, he turns left. Um, but it, I, I think, I think you were right about this, Ryan. I think, um, I think they do have a plan. It, it is clear they have a plan. I mean, they're they've. I think uh, didn't they recently say that the Mandalorian season four has already been written? It's going to tie into Ahsoka. They had that big crossover thing. Uh, you know, they, they definitely have a plan. They, they definitely know what's going to happen to Mandalore and to the Mandalorian people. I think what Favreau is probably saying here, if I read between the lines, is all that that they have planned out isn't necessarily the end of the, the story of Mando and Grogu. Yeah, and that would be my read on it as well, that like that's not necessarily like whenever we get to the end of that crossover event, which you and I have talked a little bit, I would bet my bottom dollar it's going to be titled Heir to the Empire, um, uh, uh, that that won't necessarily be the end of it. Uh, it could be, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. Yeah. Um, okay, uh, I want to talk uh, briefly next about Netflix. Uh, they've been advertising that they, they, uh, they actually released, I think it was last week, uh, the commentary track to Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery. This is the film from Ryan Johnson. Uh, Netflix has been very uh, unwilling to put special features on their platform, which seems so weird to me because you'd think like a platform that wants people to stay on their platform and not go to the other streaming services and you could just record a commentary track and it would, you know, add two more hours to the watch time of your users without, you know, rewatching basically the same content with just new audio that costs you know, how much money does it cost to get a director and a star in a room to talk about the movie for two hours? Probably it not much. It, it might cost nothing, theoretically. Yeah. Like, you're, you might, because the director and the, the directors tend to really want to do these. Um, I, and well, I that's think why that, this is happening. Uh, all you're really paying for is what, a little bit of studio time to, for someone to record the track? Yeah. And I, I think that's why this is happening. Ryan Johnson is a huge fan of doing commentary tracks. But, Ryan, did you hear how they're, they released this? Uh, I actually didn't. Uh, I haven't had uh, like a hardly a moment to breathe to to take a look at this. Now you'd think that you'd go to your you know Glass Onion on the Netflix app and just pick the commentary track from like the the audio, uh, the tracks or whatever. Nope, you got to download a podcast, and then you got to sync up the podcast, uh, you know, on your phone or audio device with the TV playing, and uh, hope that no one calls you during the, the two-hour movie because then... Wait, is that you know, really what they did? Yeah, yeah. Why? I don't That's know. Say, why? That seems so confusing. Why would... <laughs> how hard would it have been to just upload <sighs> a version of the... That can't be right. Really? Yeah, I don't know why Netflix is so against doing commentaries and special features. It's so weird. Because even Disney Plus does them. It's not hard. You can just You can just watch it with the commentary. It seems like it would be easy money for them. They could re-release all the Stranger Things episodes with commentaries, and people would re-watch all of them this again. This is insane to me. What? I thought it would just be... Oh, God. <laughs> Imagine someone calls you during that, and you you can't get to, like, the pause button on your TV. I was so busy last week, I hardly had a time. I just <laughs> assumed it would... Oh, my God. What is Netflix doing? And they're promoting it like it's a big thing on their, you know, their socials and stuff. It's like they have a poster for it. So it's not the even like just like Ryan is not going to do this. Yeah. 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 
Uh, I think they're basically appeasing Ryan to uh, to promote it, but uh, it's it's weird. Anyways, uh, let, let's talk about the big news this uh, from this past week. We didn't get to talk about it last week, and that is that Warner Brothers Discovery is going to be making new Lord of the Rings movies. Ryan, tell us about it. Yeah, so this was during the Warner Brothers Discovery uh, earnings call, which was the fourth quarter earnings call, but also kind of reporting on, you know, the the total fiscal year for 2022. And as we know, as listeners of this podcast will know, the last year has been a bit tumultuous for Warner Brothers Discovery. Um, they were at $1.57 billion, billion in debt as a result of Discovery acquiring Warner Media. Um, there was, you know, Batgirl was canceled. The Scooby-Doo movie was canceled. A lot of projects have been removed from HBO Max. They're trying to launch a new streaming service. Lots of stuff going on. But this earnings call, we sort of got a bit more a perspective on okay what's the what now that the dust is settled what's everything going to look like and one of the big things was they are leaning harder than ever into franchises and as further evidence of that they have signed a new deal with embracer group uh for a new uh series of lord of the rings movies um this was came out of nowhere there was no sort of indication this was going to happen but uh embracer group uh now owns the rights and Warner Brothers has re-signed a deal with them to to make new Lord of the Rings movies. And, you know, you're looking at between the Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, you, almost $6 billion at the box office. Uh, I completely get why they're going to do this. No word yet on casting. No word yet on what the plot's going to be. No word yet on how soon it could potentially be underway. But this is happening. So what does this mean? Does this mean that they're going to remake the Lord of the Rings trilogy and the Hobbit? Uh, I want to say Hobbit trilogy. The Hobbit. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I don't think that's what they would do. But, you know. Uh, <laughs> what what I, do you I, think they're doing with this? I don't I, I don't even understand. I don't know. Uh, Jeremy, who writes for us, uh, had speculated in a piece what it could be about. Um. Uh, I get, you know, cause there's like the TV show, which is focusing, I think on what's called the second age. The movie's largely focused on what is called the third age. Um, so I guess there's maybe, there must be a first age there. Right. Um, I don't know. Uh, but it, it, <laughs> isn't that what the TV show, the Amazon TV the, the, show? I the TV it. shows the second age, I guess is second what it's age. called. Oh, I'm okay. not as familiar with the Lord of the Rings lore. I like, I'm fantasy is usually not my thing, but I, I make an exception for Lord of the Rings. Um, I really love those movies a lot. Uh, but, um, you know, I'm not like a Tolkien completionist or anything. I, I, uh, so, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I would strongly suspect that they would, that remaking those movies would be a real crapshoot because uh, they hold up. They hold up. Boy, do they hold up. So yeah. I don't know that you could ever do any better. So I would just imagine that you would have to find another story in there to tell. I feel like the only way that it would be worth doing the Lord of the Rings books again would be to do, I I, I know you're going to cringe when I say this, Brian, but as a, as a TV miniseries, because then you could expand it and actually cover everything that's in the book, which I'm not sure would be better than what Peter Jackson did in the movies probably wouldn't be better, but like at least it would be different enough. But yeah, I agree with you. I don't think there would be a point to remaking the movies. I know Hollywood reporter kind of hints at the idea that the, that they're, might be doing like spinoffs of like some of the heroes from the fellowship. So like Aragon, Gandalf and the rest, 
which might be on the table. Uh, is that something you'd be interested in? Can you can you tighten up the question a bit? What would you, what exactly are you asking me? <laughs> would you be interested in seeing spinoffs for, of of different characters, like a Gandalf uh, movie? Uh, I uh, uh, no. No, and even as someone who likes this stuff, that's not enticing enough to me. And I do, and I actually, for the record, I do see what you're saying with like a mini series. Like, I, I don't know if it'd be better or whatever. Like one one example of that, I've talked for years after finally reading Jurassic Park, as much as I never thought you could remake that, my thought on that was like, if someone ever were to, you do a completely slavish adaptation of Michael Crichton's novel as a mini series. It's and so like, different. It's so different, right? So that would be like a way, but I think Lord of the Rings, having read the books as well, I mean, it's Jackson's pretty faithful to that material. So, I mean, that's that's pretty tough. Um, Especially in the extended editions he released. Yeah, so I so I feel like, um, uh, so I think uh, it, it, in going over Jeremy's article a bit here, there's the uh, Sil- Silmarillion is the name of that oh, text. Oh, yeah. Which is a, it's so hard to read. I, I picked this up once and tried reading it. I fell asleep. <laughs> but as but as Jeremy states, that takes place during the first age. And it's like a, you know, it's a bunch of tales and poems and whatnot. And it's like an epic sized text that so apparent you could conceivably find something to tell in there, I would assume um, that I would have to assume that would be the most logical way to go. Yeah, I, I guess that makes sense. But I also think, uh, you know, where Warner Brothers Discovery is going is the Lord of the Rings brand enough to sell, you know, that first age? I feel like it's more likely that they're going to do spinoffs of characters that we know than it just being like the um, the Amazon show uh, Rings of Power, it just being set in the world. I feel like they, they you know, I don't know. I, I don't think I want either of it, though, Ryan, is the problem. I don't want spinoffs, and I don't need more. I mean, I'm not even watching the Amazon show. I've heard I watched so many the first episode. I thought it was good, and I didn't feel compelled to keep up with it. Uh, but that's just me with TV, right? Like, if it was a new yeah. movie, I would have absolutely went and saw it. But, um, but uh, I, I, re- I keep an open mind, because, again, I really like those movies, and, and I do think it's a big, rich universe. Um, I, you know, but it, it's all about the story it's all about what the but i but again i just come back to the idea from a business perspective i do see why they would do it and i do understand why you do that um yeah. but again does it justify itself by the time the other thing i think too though is that you're probably going to be on a like i imagine we're going to this is going to move quick i would bet you anything we're going to hear they're probably taking pictures from right pitches from writers and directors now and i would bet we're going to hear about this soon i don't think because i would bet they want to get this on the calendar by like you know 2026 at the latest you know what i mean they want to get this they want to get this going yeah and uh you know the the good thing about this company owning all the tolkien stuff is uh for me from my perspective ryan i'm a fan of the theme parks it feels like they're trying to make as much money off the uh these uh franchises these properties these stories as possible I bet you within the next five years, we're going to have the announcement of a Lord of the Rings theme park land, probably in a Universal Studios theme park uh, somewhere. Uh, I would uh, maybe, but that, but that gets tricky because Embracer owns all of the underlying rights, I think. Yeah. And I think this deal was just for movies. So they would probably have to make a separate ongoing deal 
for, for sure. But I'm just I, saying that it looks like they're they want to make deal like they want to make money off this stuff that they own. Do you know what I mean? Like where the Tolkien family was kind of more you know, didn't want to sign deal, you know, didn't want to, you know, they were very uh, protective of the property. It feels like uh, this company, you know, is like, who's going to pay us the most? Fair enough. Yeah. Well, yeah. So we'll see, man. I don't know, but. Yeah. Uh, Anyways, you can find more of all the stories we mentioned on today's show linked in the show notes and on SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast, SlashFilm Daily, every weekday on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. And please rate and read this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow.